There is no greater crime than holiness when culture is the judge. Hurting feelings is the supreme offense in a cancel culture. Holiness implies judgment. And that can't be because I don't like how that makes me feel. And don't even talk to me about hell. That's just not fair. What happens when God's holiness is stripped from Christianity? When holiness is stripped from Christianity, the Bible becomes a manual for good living. And Jesus becomes a life coach to help us have that best life now. In 1 Samuel 1, God gave us the Lord of hosts. Samuel gives us the Lord of hosts. He's Yahweh of battle. Lord of hosts means God of war. 1 Samuel 2 gives us the Lord of holiness. And there is no greater crime than unholiness when God is judge. 1 Samuel 1 gave us the Lord of hosts, and 1 Samuel 2 shows us who he fights against. Now, this is a church discipline text, and particularly the discipline of a minister. Yes, ministers must be disciplined if they err. And the text begins with a godly minister. Verse 11, chapter 2, verse 11, Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. So Elkanah returned home from worship and left Samuel because Hannah gave him to the ministry. And he was a faithful minister. The phrase, in the presence of Eli, means he served under the authority. And he's serving appropriately the Lord. We have the same kind of apprenticeship in the URCNA when a young man uh, desires the ministry and a consistory. Uh, thinks he might be one who is called, sends him to seminary. And after a year of seminary, he may take a licensure exam, a licensure exam, and that allows him to become an intern in the URCNA that he can begin uh, under the oversight of a consistory and under the care of a minister to begin learning in how to be a minister, that he might serve faithfully in the Lord. So this is the kind of apprenticeship that uh, Samuel has found here. And so we find this Samuel who's in the presence of Eli. He's ministering to the Lord. Now that's juxtaposed to verse 2. And here we're introduced to the seeds of the serpent. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. They were false ministers. And, and false ministers are worthless because they corrupt the church. Now the corrupting of the church is just a fruit of their condition which is they did not know Yahweh. The text literally reads, these men did not know Yahweh. They did not know the covenantal Lord. So in place of God's word, they had their own word. Verse 13, the custom of the priests, it's not the custom of God's word. This is their way. So we see their worthlessness right here at the very beginning. They're not going to do what God's word says. They're going to do their own thing. And that when, that when any man offered a sacrifice to the priest, they would come while the meat was boiling, and with a three-pronged fork in his hand, right, they would stab the meat. 
and they would take the meat for themselves. And this custom violated God's word. Listen to Deuteronomy 18, verse 3. And this shall be the priests due from the people. From those offering, from those offering a sacrifice, whether an ox or a sheep, they shall give to the priest the shoulder and the two cheeks and the stomach. But not these guys. Who wants cheek and stomach meat? Right? They wanted backstrap, rib meat. They wanted the good stuff. And so they wanted more than God's word. They wanted more than God's word. So they would stab the meat and they would take, it says verse 15, and before the fat was burned, they would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give me meat, give meat for the priest to roast, or I will take it by force. Now, the phrase before it was born or the clause before the fat was born Burned is a violation of God's word. Again, Leviticus says the fat was supposed to be burned for a pleasing aroma to God. So God gets the fat, but not these men. They're like, give me. They wanted the fat. They wanted the good part. You don't eat fat when you cook a good steak. Something wrong with you. That's the best part. No, I'm <laughs> Especially a ribeye. Come on, people. Got to eat that whole ribeye. My wife always leaves a big chunk on the plate. I'm like, that's the best part. But these false ministers, they were not satisfied with sola scriptura. They were not satisfied with God's word. The Belgian Confession, our confession of the faith, says that false ministers assign more authority to themselves than the word of God. And they will not subject themselves to the yoke of Christ. The confession goes on to say they want more than Jesus Christ. You see, a minister is holy insofar as his life is hid in Christ, that he knows the Lord, and he's ministering before the Lord. That is, he's ministering God's word and that word alone. So these men were against the Lord. They're enemies. God has enemies. Listen to Hannah's prayer, chapter 2, verse 1. Hannah prayer, prays, I exult, my heart exults in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies. The people of God have enemies. All who exult in the name of the Lord will have enemies, whether it be Canaanites, Philistines, or today in political ideology that hates the church. The church has always had enemies, but the greatest enemy to the church, the worst damage has always come from within the church. And as we are seeing in this text, those within corrupting and destroying the church with their own way. But Hannah reminds us that the Lord protects his church. Verse 9, she writes, she prays, he will guard the feet of his faithful ones. How so? Because the wicked he will cut off. But the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall man prevail. You see, God saves his church by destroying his enemy. She prays in verse 6, the Lord kills and the Lord brings to life. The Lord brings down to Sheol and the Lord raises up. The Lord makes rich and makes poor. He brings low. He exalts. This is the Lord's doing. And God has enemies because he is holy. Verse 2, there is none holy like the Lord, she says. There is none like the Lord. 
holy. You know, we must all appear before the judgment seat of God. So Hannah prays, verse 10, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. And Paul says, we will all receive what is due for what we have done in the body, whether good or evil. And when you stand before a terrible, holy God, you don't need a life coach. You need a savior. These men are wicked men before the Lord. And if the man said to him, verse 16, let them burn the fat first. We hear here that when the men would say that, that's the men in the church. That is, this is a true church. The church, these men, these these wolves were shepherding a true church, and they know the word, they know the law of God, but this church had wolves in their midst. And so these wolves would say, no, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. And we see that false ministers abuse their authority. That is the warp and wolf of false ministers. They love to abuse their authority. And where there are no checks and balances, wolves have a field day on the church. And so these false ministers forsook God's word, perverted justice, and desecrated worship. Verse 17, thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. That word contempt is a very strong word, powerful word. Contempt means you think yourself greater than another or a job. You think that job's beneath you. You think that person is worthless. They deserve your ridicule. And the antonym of contempt is honor. You see, these men were not honoring God. They were not honoring worship. They were not doing what God has commanded in his word. No, they did what was right in their own eyes. They got bored with worship, wanted to do their own thing. They got bored with the, with the meat, the food. They wanted more. They were not content. And they thought nothing of God's glory and holiness. And again, Hannah's prayer has prepared us for what's coming. Verse 10, she prays, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. And as soon as she ends this prayer, the Lord shows us his adversaries. And in this narrative, we're going to see him break his adversaries to pieces. But before then, we have Samuel again, verse 18. Samuel was ministering before the Lord. Now he's not ministering before Eli. He's ministering before the Lord. And the boy was clothed in a linen ephod. Linen ephod represents priesthood. He is a priest ministering before the Lord. And here we have a juxtaposition, do we not? The text begins with godly minister, and then it shows us false ministers. And now it's turning again to a godly minister. And not only a godly minister, but a a godly home. And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when, he, when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. This home, was they were raising their children in the Lord. And Eli would bless Elkanah and say, may the Lord give you more children. They would go home and the Lord blessed them with more sons and daughters. She was blessed by the Lord. But more importantly, the young man Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord.
Raising your kids in worship is the right use of your home. When God still works the same way, you have to raise your children in the Lord. That is, you've got to raise them in church. And there is something to be said about family worship and catechizing and training your children in the ways that they should go in knowledge and in truth. And this wonderful picture of a godly home is now placed beside a picture of an ungodly home. Verse 22, now Eli was very old and he kept hearing that all his sons were doing to, all that his sons were doing to Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. You see, the tent of meeting was, was where the Israelites came to uh, confess their sins to the Lord. But these ungodly men have used that tent of meeting as a place to commit sin. And there is something about the abuse of power that always leads somewhere sexually. In the church, over and over again, when there are men with unchecked power, every time, it's almost 100% the case, ministers with unchecked power will end up with this deviancy. You've probably known it. I've seen it over and over again. There's just something about that power that corrupts, and it corrupts in that way. But long before ministers are disposed or deposed because of their adultery, the problem began years before through a cult of personality where they're gaining all this power. Unchecked. Now, if a minister blesses you in his care for your soul, it's because of the Word and the Holy Spirit. Never forget that. Now, you should honor, you can honor your minister. I mean, you should honor your minister who's faithful in his work. Paul says double honor. That is, pay him well. But don't venerate. Don't venerate any man. And don't think your minister has the final say. Never follow a man, follow principle, follow truth. Now, an ungodly home doesn't deal with sin in a godly way, verse 23. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For I fear that you're doing evil. Uh, he says, don't do this, my sons. It's not good what I hear. If someone sins against a man, how will, you know, if someone sins against a man, there can be mediation. <clears throat> but if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede? Now, Eli rightly condemns his sons, and he warns them of God's justice. Now, how, why do I say that this is an ungodly home? What else could he have done? What else was a father to do? Discipline. Discipline. Removal. But Eli failed as a priest to protect the church, and so the Lord intervenes, verse 25. But they would not listen to the voice of their father. Now listen to this really closely. They would not listen to the voice of their father. Why? For it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. The sons didn't listen to their father, and so Yahweh decided to put them to death. They were disobedient and then judged. But look at the text. That's actually not what it says. For it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. They were disobedient because they were judged. They did not listen 
because Yahweh decided to put them to death. They became so firm in their sin that God confirmed it in them and gave them up. Paul speaks of this giving up in Romans, does he not? And God gave them up to the lusts of their flesh. God gave them up to the desires and the dishonor of the mind and the dishonor of the flesh. To depraved minds, God gave them up. This happens today with sinners who remain utterly deaf and unmoved to the warnings of judgment and calls for repentance. You see, giving up is wrath revealed from heaven against ungodliness. And the giving up is judgment. Now, often when we talk of the giving up of the Lord and his confirming of those in their sins, we might be asked, tempted to ask of ourselves, has God given up on me? Has God given up on, have you given up on me, Lord? It's not your place to question God's judgment. It's your place to tremble before a holy God and to fear and to put your hope in Christ alone. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. Your sins may be, may be great, You may think I've committed the unpardonable sin. And the question for you is, can Christ forgive me? And the answer is, there is no one else who can. His blood washes away all our sins. But you must humble yourself before the Lord. Repent of your sins and trust in the Lord. For it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Verse 26, and now we hear about the young man again, Samuel. He continued to grow, both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. So Samuel served the Lord while these false priests served themselves. Samuel grew in the Lord while these false ministers grew their own bellies and their own fat. These false ministers abused worship. Samuel worshiped rightly. See, there's a stark contrast here in the text between a godly minister and an ungodly minister, and God cannot stand a false ministry, so it must be removed. Verse 27, And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus the Lord has said, Man of God. That phrase, man of God, means prophet in Scripture. And a prophet is one who is sent by God, And a prophet is one who recites all that God has commanded. See, prophets were sola scriptura men. And ministers are supposed to be sola scriptura men. Ministers are sent today, and we are to recite all that God has revealed in his word. And so, you know what Paul calls ministers in Timothy, in 1 and 2 Timothy? Man of God. A godly minister proclaims the word in truth. And handles God's word rightly. And that word we see here begins with grace. Verse 28, he says, did I not choose you? Did I not choose your father out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go to my altar, to burn incense, to wear the ephod before me? I gave, says the Lord. I have blessed you with all these privileges of serving me as your ministers. And you have walked on that grace. You have treaded over my love and 
care. Why then, verse 29, do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded and the honor of your sons above the fattening of yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? We see here that they did not follow the Lord. Even Eli did not follow the Lord because he had another God. And that's the God of mammon, right? As Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot love God and money. These wicked ministers loved money. That was their God. And the word is gracious, but it's likewise just. Verse 30, then the Lord, of, the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go, uh, should go in and out before me forever. But now declares the Lord, far be it from me for those who honor me, I will honor and those who despise shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming. That clause, behold, the days are coming is an eschatological formula. That is the announcement of all the prophets in the Old Testament. The days are coming, declares the Lord. That's the declaration of judgment day. And the prophet of the man, the man of God, the prophet is now declaring judgment day on the house of Eli. And judgment day is the coming of God's holiness against those who are unholy. When I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress, you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. Here we read of the destruction of evil. It's the answer to Hannah's prayer, verse 10. The adversary of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them, Yahweh will thunder in heaven. God's vengeance against his worship is great. And this shall come upon you, verse 34. Your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And what God is promising here is a terrible judgment. All of Eli's house will be put to death. But Eli's not going to see it all because Eli's going to die. But to give a sign of the hell to come to Eli, God promises and did kill both his sons on the same day. A sign and seal of hell to come to this family. And then the chapter ends, verse 36. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. And so the chapter ends with severe judgment against these Shilohite priests. Now, many Christians soften the biblical language of hell or annihilate it altogether because I just don't like the sound of that. It's unfair. And most churches don't even practice formal public church discipline of its members and not even of ministers. 
Often ministers, I've seen ministers disposed, deposed, and the congregation is never told why. They're just left to speculate. That is what? Gossip. <laughs> what happened to the minister? I've even fallen into the gossip here in town when I heard a minister was deposed, and I was like, why was he deposed? I wonder what he was doing. And then what's happened under the protection of not telling the people of the sins of the minister, well, he can just move on, can he not, to another church. And I've seen that over and over again. Ministers create, uh, do grave crimes against the church and simply go off to another church, another congregation. There's no accountability. Why? Because churches have lost sight of Hannah's prayer. God is holy, and he is holy, and he is holy. So there is none who loves justice, goodness, righteousness, and beauty like the Lord. So there is none who despises oppression, abuse, brutality, tyranny, sickness, and death, but he must destroy it all. There is therefore none who loves and protects like God. But today we protect feelings. We don't want to offend anyone. And we equate niceness with love, so we ignore or downplay God's holiness in order to spare people's feelings. But we don't honor God when we spare fallen man's feelings, nor is it kind to leave a person in their sin, nor is it good to leave unchecked abusers and evil in the church. And without the doctrine of God's supreme majesty and church discipline that protects God's holiness, the church becomes confused. And she'll become confused in her worship. And before you know it, church is, uh, worship is no longer with reverence and awe, no more the formality of reverence and awe. And then the people become cynical with the word of God itself and begin not to even trust it fully, understand it, and start denying key principles of God's word, the major principle being God's holiness. And without the holiness of God and discipline, the church is destroyed by sin. But God invades his church to break his enemy into pieces. And so out of nowhere, this man of God shows up. And out of nowhere, this man of God brings the judgment of the Lord against this false ministry. You see, Eli's family threatened to destroy God's people with their sins, so God destroyed them in order to preserve the church. You see, there's, a, there's judgment, but there's mercy in judgment. And judgment is a harsh word. But at the same time, it is a saving word. It is a word of justice, healing, protection, and peace. So Hannah says, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. And that sounds like verse 35. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And we know it is the good shepherd Christ Jesus who protects his sheep by laying down his life. 
Christ was a holy minister. Christ wholly ministered perfectly before the Lord. He ministered perfectly before the Lord. His life devoted to his Father. Not his will, but his Father's will be done in heaven. And Christ did not. Uh, Christ didn't care about your feelings. Often Christians today want us to be nicer than Christ. Christ wasn't a very nice person. Right? Who goes to church and gets a, makes a whip and starts whipping the ministers like when they're... Ah, get out of here. He didn't care about the feelings of the Pharisees or the Sadducees. No, he disciplined them. He cursed them. He wasn't nice. He wasn't worried about how they felt. He called them out. And for this holy justice, they condemned him. But it was the will of the Father to put his son in death, that he might judge him who knew no sin, that we might be the righteousness of God. You see, on the cross, Christ received the wrath of God. It consumed him. Christ consumed by the judgment of God that we not be condemned. Will God judge me, a believing sinner? Will I have to stand in that terrible day before the Lord? God has appointed once for man to die and after this the judgment but dear friends we have an advocate with the father Jesus Christ the righteous and if you look to Christ his righteousness becomes your righteousness and you become like God the righteousness of God as if you've never sinned or been a sinner, as if you've been perfectly obedient, as Christ is obedient for me. And all you have to do is accept this gift of God by a believing heart, and God will say to you on that terrible day, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of my salvation, of your salvation. So the Christian way is holiness, and his end is happiness. And there is none beside Christ, no other comfort in life and in death. Amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.